This episode of the YVR Screen Scene Podcast is brought to you by Liquid Amber Tattoo and Art Collective. Liquid Amber provides custom and cosmetic tattoos alongside a curated art gallery dedicated to celebrating local artists. And their monthly art socials are becoming a can't-miss event in the Vancouver cultural scene. Discover more at liquidambertattoo.com. And stay tuned to learn more about Liquid Amber's call for submissions for a film industry art showcase coming in 2020. Welcome to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast. I'm your host, Sabrina Ferminger. My mission is to pull back the curtain on Vancouver's film and television industry and expose its beating heart, Indiana Jones in the Temple of Doom style, by getting deep and down and a little dirty with the actors and filmmakers and other talented artists who do the work. Capital T, capital W. Today, I welcome Mike Dopad to the YVR Screen Scene Studio. Mike Dopad is a contradiction in terms. I'm taking a dramatic pause so that I can watch Mike's face. <laughs> his, his, he looks a little confused. His yeah, brow is furrowing a yes, little. Yeah. But let me explain further. Mike Dopad is a gentleman. Talk to him for 10 seconds and it's clear that he is a lovely human being. But how does this lovely human being end up playing really bad dudes over and over and over again? And I don't mean he only plays violent thumbbreakers, although he's played those too. I mean nuanced villains. I mean complicated dudes with nasty streaks. Like Vincent, the serial killer he played on The Hundred who kept his victims' hands and feet as mementos. Victor, the high-ranking Russian mobster he played on Arrow. Ward Avery, the chauvinistic DEA agent he played on CBC's 1970s crime miniseries Caught. Or vicious drug cartel leader Jason Michich on Power, an unrelenting crime drama set in present-day New York that might just have the highest body count on television and counts Curtis 50 Cent Jackson as an executive producer. So how did this lovely human being, an athletic Montrealer who was drafted by the Saskatchewan, ah, Saskatchewan, man, that's a tough one, <laughs> Saskatchewan Rough Riders and play Vic Hadfield in the hockey-centric period drama Canada Russia 72 end up as the face of evil and villainy? Why is he the guy we love to hate? Today, we'll seek answers to this and more. Mike Doped, welcome to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast. Well, thank you. I'm happy to be here. So you're a mean guy, huh? Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's all fake. Um. But why? Like, you are so lovely. And I think, you know, I have I have been so happy to binge power the last couple of weeks. Thanks to Amazon Prime. They give you access to the stars stuff. And... It's it's amazing watching that show because you are one scary motherfucker on that show. And yet I know you. I mean, I know you're a lovely human. So, like, what is that? Why do you think you're so often cast to play the big meanie? Um, you know, I don't know. I, maybe because I enjoy playing these roles. I think mm. that's a, uh, a big key to it. And I also think that... Um, you can make these roles, as you mentioned earlier, uh, nuanced, and you can add different elements to it. And I think what happens with a lot of uh, the bad guys that are portrayed on film and television that I've noticed 
tend to be angry. Everybody's always angry. And I said, I said, I think I always refer back to Hannibal Lecter. Yeah. Um, where you fought for him. You fought, you actually wanted him to win in the end. Yeah. And this guy was the person that ate people. Yeah. Correct? Yeah. Like, a little Chianti. Yeah. Uh, you know what I mean? So how, how did that happen? So I've, I always try to find a way to, you know, if I can make him likable or not, or the character likable is somewhat, even though he's a killer, you just try to justify why they do it. Do you, right? do you need to have empathy or compassion for these really bad guys that you play? Like, tell me about like your relationship to the material. Yes, it, look, I have to bond with the material. It, there's, there has to be something about it that I can sit there and say, okay, good, I, I know where I can go with this, or I can try to take it this way. Yeah. Uh, so for me, absolutely, I, I need to bond with the writing. Um, but sometimes you come up with the character on your own and they try to create something. And it's a scary thing to do because you don't know if the audience or if the producers will like it. Because sometimes yeah. you'll come up with an idea and they'll be like, uh, no, or they don't say anything and you're like, okay, uh, is it working? Is it not? Yeah. Even though you feel good, you, you don't know um, if it is. So I just try to be as honest as I can playing the role and it seems to be working. What are some of the, the special joys of playing a villain as opposed to playing the bad guy? Or sorry, as opposed to playing the good guy? Like what do you get to do as a, as a bad guy that you don't get to do as a good guy, that the good guy misses out on? Oh, perfect. Um, you know, sometimes the good guy will win a fight at the end of the, and he'll get all the accolades and everybody will hug him and love him and he gets the girl in the end, right? Yeah. So I used to always say, I always lose in the end and never get the girl and I go to jail <laughs> or I'm dead, yeah. right? Um, you must have died a lot on oh screen, eh? Oh my gosh, I can't even count how many times <laughs> that's happened. Uh, but I think, let me see, with the bad guy, what ends up happening is a lot of times the more evil you are, the, the more menacing or scary you can be, or you beat up somebody or you shoot people, you know, everywhere else in the world, you'd go to jail. Yeah. Whereas on set, they clap. Mm. <laughs> You're applauded, and that really doesn't happen as a good guy, because it's almost more delicious. See, if, if a bad guy does something, oh my God, did you see how we killed him? Or did you see when he spit on her, you know, or whatever, they're like, that was so cool. Whereas. In the normal world, in the real world, you'd be in jail. Yes. Well, right? hopefully you would be. Yeah, exactly. Am I right? Yeah. So who, I mean, this is such an unfair question, but it's my show I can ask. Who's been your favorite villain to play? Now, remember, all the my, shows yeah. are out there right now being like, I hope he says me. Yeah. I, hope he says oh, me. <laughs> I have to say, I think I go, go back to, um, I just love uh, we're Jason Mitchett just come yeah. to on power and where it's going. Um, and that was something th that I had a hand in creating, which was great. We, I mean, we have great writers, great producers, great directors on the show. Um, but it was something that I had a hand in creating. Yeah. And even though on The 100, uh, Vincent was another one that was probably the most out there character that I think I've played. God, he was creepy. And creepy but you sort of <laughs> w what the feedback I got which was really amazing to me is how many people actually liked him huh so that to me was like oh my gosh I can't believe it wow because I didn't know um and it was really interesting because uh Jason our showrunner yeah. on the hundred really didn't say much to me during the beginning of it and so I sort of came up with this character um and I went with it. And yeah. 
they sort of didn't say anything. So for the first couple episodes, I was, are they getting it? Because it was kind of weird and different. And so I don't think the other actors knew how to take it. Yeah. Uh, but I just remember one. But that's good, right? To have everybody unsettled, to have the viewer unsettled, to have your castmates unsettled, you know, like that. Absolutely. And, and it was really interesting to have that happen because I remember at one point I just stared, I guess, at, at Paige Turco's character, Abby. Uh, yeah. I just stared at her a little extra couple beats. And she hit me and goes, oh, you're creepy. I'm so sorry. I don't even know you because it was our first day. She goes, I didn't expect that. And I said, oh, good. So, okay, I think it's working. Yeah. Because, you know, as an actor, you put yourself out there and and you're you're sort of hoping that people will get it. But you don't know. That's so fun. Yeah. You get, I mean, it's neat me. to. Oh yeah, I mean, and but you deserved it. You earned it. It oh, was because yeah. of your acting. You yeah. got that. Listen, I am all about power right now, and I'm so excited that you are here to talk today. And I got to say, Canada, like Amazon Prime is a good way. You can get you can get hooked up with the stars programming through Amazon Prime. So that's how I ended up being all caught up on power. Awesome. Uh, as of this morning. Um, and what I love is that there is something so Shakespearean about it, too. You know, like mm-hmm. this, like these, the relationship dynamics and the, oh, my God, and, and the women rising. It's just, it's so exciting. But, okay, so, but Power, though, it follows a crime-entwined nightclub owner named Ghost and all the flawed people in his orbit. Um Lot to unpack with your character, though, beginning with the fact that you're playing a Serbian American character, and you yourself are are Serbian. Yes, you know. So, what does it mean to you to play a Serbian American character? First of all, well, it's a very tricky question, you know, and and I'll tell you why because I get feedback, and sometimes it's bad. Like some family members don't necessarily not necessarily like it because they. I guess their take of it is that Serbs are always portrayed as bad people. Right. Right. And I've had talks with Alex about that as well. And Alex Ponovic. Alex Ponovic. And and what happens sometimes is that people take it out of context and they think, you, you know, you're putting a bad name on, on Serbs. And I understand that. And, and I do get it. And there are times uh, that I won't do every Serbian uh, part. Yeah, that's a bad guy or that's a terrorist. Um, I've been known to have played a few of them, but at the end of the day, sometimes I look and say, "Well, I have kids, I have a mortgage, I have to work," yeah. and and I try to do um, these characters and, and portray them the best I can. And and it, it is a shame, but I always tell people, I said, "Okay, well, let's write some good stuff for Serbs yeah. as well." And there are, and there's a lot of great Serbian uh, television, film, and television uh, that goes on. But so. It's great to play it, but every once in a while I feel there might be a bit of guilt because um, I don't want people to take it the wrong way. And I have to remind people that it still is. It's film and it's television. It's not reality. I mean, we've had a lot of discussions here in this in this space. People like with Patrick Sabongi and Lee Mm -hmm. Majdubri, we're talking about like, you know, having to weigh that that question, you know. And I mean, frankly, I mean, I, I guess. For me, I was excited to see a character that was speaking Serbian that I and I knew that 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 was your background and you got to, you know, after playing so many other different backgrounds that you got to have that moment where you got to speak Serbian and you got to like, you know, be be part of a family on TV that we don't necessarily always get to see. Yeah. And that was great, too. Uh, And. You know, some Serbs sit there, go, oh, you have an accent or, or whatever. And I said, well, look, that's just it. Yeah. Right? He doesn't sound, he's a Serbian American from Chicago. Yeah. Right? And so he was. He would sound different. Like I was, 
I was at, at a dinner last week and there was a, a Croatian guy named Rob and another Serb that was, uh, his name was Bill, but, um, <laughs> and the three of us would every once in a while would say some things in Serbian and we all sounded different. Hmm. Everyone had a slightly different accent. So I thought, you know what, that's okay. Yeah. Uh, and just like even here, when we speak English, everybody sounds different. We don't, don't all sound alike. Yeah. And so it's really interesting. Cause Except you do fans, have a Montreal dialect for sure. Bit, yeah. Little West Island. Yeah. Me Absolutely. too. <laughs> Best Absolutely. place on earth. Love yeah. Vancouver, but it was a good place to be, yeah, <laughs> to be born. Montreal rocks. Yeah, it really does. West. We've Oh, my God. We've had such an amazing uh, West. We've had Simon Barry. We've had oh, Peter, yeah. Peter Shinkoda. We've had Patrick Sabongi. We have Omari Newton coming in in a bit. Like, we're all. And then this the is my house. So repping. we're. Yeah, yeah. baby. <laughs> okay, so. Power. Yes. What, uh, now you started to tell me a little bit about of this before, uh, and um, and then I'm like, save it! T- <laughs> tell me about, uh, tell me about the improvising that you've done and the way that you have uh, brought yourself into this, into this character. Uh, absolutely. Um, I, I guess there's one scene in particular that, um, well, I'll start off from the first scene. My very first day on the show, uh, I was finishing up a play called Man Up for the Boys Club in Ottawa, oh. and I had been cast, and then they said, okay, we need you to fly in ASAP, and we were in Ottawa doing this play, and so I said, okay, well, when? And so, well, we need you, you start Monday, and this is Thursday. So I'm like, oh, okay, so we had one more uh, performance that Thursday night, and I said, but I have to go to Montreal to see my mom, uh, who's in a care home, she's dealing with some health issues. So I said, I have to go see my mom first before it. I said, that's fine, just go, but be here Saturday and you have to do your wardrobe fitting. And so it was just craziest. And by the way, you've got a four page walk and talk on your first scene and you've got this and then I'm like, oh, awesome, right? Oh, and then right, they're like- that scene in the- In the, in the, the warehouse. The, the, yeah, the huge with Tommy. With Tommy. Wow, that was your first Joseph scene? Joseph Sakura, yes. <laughs> and what was crazy about that was, uh, all of a sudden, the you know some people from the network, I guess, or or the showrunner decided, well, why we want him to have a heavy Chicago accent, and I'm like, well, wait a sec, you can't give me a day to do that. And Joseph uh, Shakora, who was from Chicago, was emailing saying, well, we can work on it on the day because it's kind of a tough spot, and I said. Why not? Why make him that? It becomes a caricature, and I don't didn't want to make him a caricature, so I decided to just have a, a specific dialect for him, just that he speaks properly, mm. and he finishes his words. That was the biggest thing where I thought, why can't we make him slightly interesting that way? Yeah. And they seem to be okay with it. So, and we had this big walk and talk. And, and I was, you know, your nerves creep in the first day every once in a while because you're like, okay, it's my first day on the show and I really like the show. Yeah. So I was thinking, okay, I've got, uh, come on, you gotta, you know, why couldn't you give me more days to get ready for it? <laughs> but that's the way it is. And, and, and sometimes that can be good, right? Yes. Where you don't even have to think about it that much. You don't have time to like, you know, prepare. I mean, I mean I'm gonna try to find the silver lining here. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was, it, and ended up being awesome. Uh, I remember being in the shuttle with Joseph Shakura, and look, I'm shooting in New York, Manhattan. We were right in the middle of Midtown, in this big, huge uh, building that that was had two floors, empty floors, that we were able to use as, and it was portraying Chicago, which obviously we couldn't show the skyline too much. But 
walking to work, I'm sitting there going, this is one of the joys as an actor. I'm like, oh my God, I dreamt about this when I wanted to become an actor. I'm like, yeah. shooting in New York City. I'm in Manhattan. I'm shooting a scene, yeah. a movie. You know, you always say a movie, but it's a television show and we shoot this like a movie. Um, yeah. our, our DPs are fantastic. We have, you know, 12 day episodes, which is great. Oh, it's epic. Um, it's a cinematic, yeah, very absolutely. highly cinema cinematic show for sure. So it was awesome. And I got to perform that first day and it was great. And seemed like, I think it's one of those things that you, you create a character. Yeah. And if people don't say anything, is a good thing. Once people start telling you or micromanaging you, then you're like, okay, I don't quite have it yet. So, and I think you just have to trust yourself and go with it. Yeah. So first day you work with, uh, I'm just gonna say Tommy. You work with Tommy yeah. with Joseph Scora, and um, I don't know if we've we've we have mentioned this already. Powers exec, one of its executive producers is uh, you call him Fifth Curtis Fifty Cent <laughs> Jackson, uh, who I mean was amazing. Uh, on the show and uh, well I won't do spoilers if you haven't watched it watch it watch the show I won't see what happens to his character but you have a you have an interaction yes uh, <laughs> it was actually a, an interesting scene that we shot um, it was in this alleyway and up until that point I had only dealt with uh, Tommy yeah Joseph Shakur's character so and I it, obviously I know about Ghost, who, who's played by Omari Hardwick, and so I know about those two guys. But I come in with my goons to you know because they owe me money. And yeah, I was trying not to spoil it too much. But yeah. all of a sudden, there's this <laughs> other character called Kanan in the scene, and it wasn't written anywhere. But I thought to myself, I said, "Well, why is this guy? Who is this guy? What's he supposed to be doing here? What's, yeah. I can't just you know. Obviously, they have their people there, but." Uh, and in the moment, uh, we were doing the scene, and, and I decided to go a little off page, and, and <laughs> I went, and at first, I didn't even look at, at Fifth's character. I, just, I didn't even look at him. I was just pissed off that I had this other guy to deal with now. And then I finally went up, and then I said, who the fuck is this guy? And um, Which was an ad lib. <laughs> and they're like, whoa, wait a second. Uh, and then he answered back, I'm an old friend. Oh, yeah. Which was a great ad lib on it his was. part. So then I went along with it. Well, old friend, you're in this shit too now, right? Yeah. So I go back and I just, you know, basically disrespected him in the scene as far as the characters go. But it turned out to be one of the things that they really loved about the scene. Yeah. And I took a chance and I didn't know how 50 would take it or, or how um, the producers would take it. But sometimes you just got to go for it. Yeah. Take and that, our that. director was cool with it. Like I'd mentioned it to him, and he was he was like, "I'm not going to say anything. Just go for it." And and he said, "We'll see what happens." Because it was only his second episode uh, directing, uh, Slick's um, second episode directing, I believe. So we, he was probably in the same shoes too. Because if I would have said, "Well, Slick told me to do it," or you know, I could have. But no, we trusted each other, and I yeah, went with it. And that's a good lesson. Yeah. in there for sure. What was uh, what is Fifty Cent? I don't even know how to call. It. What what is Fifth like as a as a director? You know, because I mean, he did have a he did end up directing an episode in the sixth season, the Forgot About Dre episode. Yeah, he directed our third episode this season, and oh, he's great. Look. Um, He's a friendly person. He he talks to everybody. He treats the actors with respect. He 
is prepared. Obviously, it was his first. He's he's done other directing as far as music videos go. Yeah. Now. So it wasn't his first foray into directing. However, we have a great team there, and and he was the first person to admit it. We our DPs are great. Um, our camera guys, everybody, and everybody loves Fifth. So. Uh, it's easy to come to work for a guy like that. He's, he's always happy, he's always smiling, and he's smart, he knows what he's doing. Yeah. And it was great, and he's very collaborative. Um, we had a, a situation where he asked me to do something one way, and I said, well, I think maybe this guy would do it this way, and then he just raised his hands and said, you're the boss, you do it. Wow. I trust your instincts. I said, okay, thank you. Which is, as an actor, is the biggest thing you can get. Yeah. Because you don't want to feel when you're working that, that nobody likes me or nobody trusts me. And the fact that you have the trust of the director and co-creator of the show say, go for it. Yeah. And I thought that was great. It just made, I think it made the scene so much better. I'm smiling hugely right <laughs> now because like I can imagine that, that this is a very exciting moment you know, for you and to and to think about like where you've come from from the West Island and, and now you're on a show like like power. I wanna let's do some time travel. Let's go into the Mike Doput origin story then. You know, like okay, how did we get here? And I don't mean your GPS, which you were telling me all about today. <laughs> but know. like like how like what kind of a kid were you and like what did you want to be when you grew up? Well, that's a great uh question. You know why? Because I grew up immigrant family from the former Yugoslavia. I was born here, but everybody else in my family, my brother, my mom, my dad were born in uh, Beograd, Panchovo, and uh, my dad was born in Zagreb, ironically enough. And when they defected and moved here in 67, they moved to France first, and they moved to Montreal in 67, I believe. Uh, hey, big was, year for Montreal. Yes, the I was born year. in 68. Yeah. Now, the, the thing about that was they were trying to have another sibling for my brother and took seven years. They couldn't, nothing happened. And as soon as they got to Montreal, all of a sudden, boom, there I was. Hence why they named me Michelle, because I was born in St. Michelle oh, in Montreal. Okay. On the east side of Montreal. Yeah. And um, so that's basically how it started. But being an immigrant family, I'm sure everybody out there that comes from the same background, you dress differently, you don't have as much money, you're not as well off as a lot of people. And the Your East End of Montreal. smells exactly. differently at lunch. Exactly. And, yeah. And, and uh, so for me, my dad, would, <laughs> my dad would make me wear these corduroy suits with my name uh, plastered all over every article of clothing. And I had like, I look like Casper the White Ghost. I had white, 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 white hair and broken teeth and, and just big eyebrows, bushy eyebrows. So I was the perfect kid to pick on, I guess, growing up. Like, um, what are we going to do to make our kid get, make friends? <laughs> exactly. Corduroy suit, put his name all yeah. over it, send him on his way. Send him on it, like a bright <laughs> blue, uh, yeah, a bright baby blue corduroy suit. And, and I have pictures of it, so it's hilarious. Oh, Michelle. And, Michelle, yeah. <laughs> and then, um, and my brother had to go through a lot of it too. My and my dad had just broke his back in a terrible accident when we moved to. Uh, he was working on the forum, the Montreal Forum, and there was a, an explosion, and he'd broken his back. He was not paralyzed, but he was, you know, definitely in trouble. Whoa. And then I was born shortly thereafter. So my my brother had it hard. Yeah. He's seven years older than I am, and my brother Sam was. His name is Zlatko, but we all call him Sam because his hockey coach couldn't pronounce his name, and then that stuck yeah. after that. It was Suko, Sacco, uh, Sam, <laughs> so it stuck. <laughs> oh, uh, man. Obviously the parents would call him Zlatko, but uh, having said that, 
Uh, he had it tough because my, you know, my dad was on a lot of medication and stuff, and poor, no money, yeah. and couldn't work because he was hurt, and hadn't been in Canada long enough to have a, a good pension, if that makes any sense. Yeah. So he had it tough, and then you know, and then us dressing the way we did, and I had all his hand me downs and you know ripped stuff or whatever. But my dad still tried to present us as as if we were going to like a private school. Yeah. So that's why we had to wear these suits and that. But not realizing that it was actually the worst thing you could do to go to a public school that way, right? Yeah. Where people would just make, you know, and kids could be cruel. Um, oh, kids are the worst. <laughs> yeah. They just know how to, like, they just will say, they will say, oh, that one thing you feel vulnerable vulnerable <laughs> about, we're just going to deep dive yeah. into that. So, like, were, did you feel like you were an other? I did, but, you know, we... My dad was a, a tough man, and yeah. and I take that in a good way. I'm putting that in a good way. Yeah. He was loving, but he also was hard. He goes, no, you deal with it. You yeah. deal with things. And I'm so glad I grew up that way because I, I've learned how to handle uh, hard situations and deal with uh, certain things, which I don't think I would have had the ability to do without that tough love. And I don't mean tough love like a violent thing. I mean it in a good way, that he was yeah. strong and stern, and this is how you do things. Um, Obviously, at the time, there, was, there were moments you're like, well, Dad, really? Yeah. <laughs> Why are you so mad, right? But I'm glad he, he taught me uh, ethics, which mm. was huge. So even though I felt at times I knew I was doing the right thing and I thought I was a good kid. And however, having said that, you always ask about how I play all these bad guys or these physical guys or these fight guys, you know. And, well, that's how I learned how to fight is mm. because you get picked on enough, then eventually you have to defend yourself, right? Yeah. People pick on you or whatever, and then I ended up being good at it. So I was able to handle myself. And then there's two of my buddies that are my friends to this day where we met fighting. And then, uh, you know, just school ground stuff. And then all of a sudden you, you end up, because we were all athletes and then we end up fighting and then we're like, oh, okay, well, you're kind of cool, you're kind of cool. And then the next thing you know, we're friends. For, for forever. Like, forever, yeah, you've all bled on each other. Yeah, it's like, exactly. now, we're, now we're buddies now. We're now we're buddies. Yeah, so like I, I know that you you went by way, like your path to this moment, you were, you pursued athletics, right? Like yes. that was your, your first thing first. So your plan then, your life plan when you were a kid was like, I'm gonna be an athlete. My life plan was I'm playing professional sports. At, at first it was hockey and then I wanted to play football. When I got into football, I was like, I'm gonna play professional football. Yeah. And nothing's going to stop me. And everybody tried to say, you know, you can't, you're crazy, you're Canadian, you're not going to make it, you can't get in. I said, well, I don't care what you say, I'm going to make it, I'm going to make it. And I, I had a short career, but I made it. Yeah. And now as I get older, I can appreciate it more. Mm. I think a good friend of mine said one thing, he goes, I don't care if you played a thousand plays or one play. You were there. You, you were yeah. a professional athlete for that day. And I said, oh my God, that's the way, that's the best way to look at it. Yeah. Because some guys, and luckily I don't think I ever got was bitter about it because as soon as I was done with my sports, uh, I did the corporate world, but then I always wanted to be an actor. Whoa, whoa, yeah. hold on oh, yeah. a second. You did the corporate world. I worked for ADP Payroll Systems. You worked for ADP Payroll yes. Systems. This I, used is an... up, I used to set up companies <laughs> on payroll programs. Wow. <laughs> I do the payroll here in our company, yeah. so I, I know how uh, how important that is. Mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, everybody wants to get paid. No way! Yeah, that's so funny. I've interviewed you a few times before. Your time at ADP Payroll Systems has not come up. <laughs> wow. Okay, so so you went from you went from okay. the CFL to the corporate world, and then you're like, Oh, I'm going to throw <laughs> something else at you. Um, <laughs> So I went from the CFL and career didn't work out the way it was. I had some injuries dealing with it. And then I went back, uh, I got released 
and it had some contract issues by the, the timing of the release that was a bit of a pain in the ass, so I won't get into that. But then left a bitter taste in my mouth, but then I said, okay, well, I'll try. And at the time, they didn't have, Montreal didn't have a team uh-huh in the cfl of yeah. all the years you know you'd think that montreal would want to have a french canadian kid they would consider me french canadian because i have a name michelle mm-hmm. that they could help promote but they didn't have a team so then i went to ottawa and failed the physical and then failed physicals for calgary if i remember correctly and then then after that there was an expansion in the cfl with teams in the states mm. san antonio and so, so I thought, great, but at the meantime, I was trying to figure out what to do, and then one of my old coaches uh, at Southern Illinois University ended up going to the World League. There was a, a new league called the World League of American Football, Okay. which was sort of like a farm system for the NFL. That was what they were going to do with it. And so I ended up, great, I ended up going to training camp, and then the league folds. <laughs> like, I have such great timing, guys. <laughs> yeah. Like, really? Now? I, no team in Montreal, no team. So one day I'm sitting there looking. I'm like, okay, obviously somebody upstairs is telling me, you're done with football. You're mm-hmm. done. Let it go. I said, okay. And then I was playing hockey with my buddies, um, and I'd played junior hockey and, and such. So I was a little physical guy as well in hockey. And then I was playing hockey with my buddies, and there was a couple scouts there, and like, hey, listen, you can still skate, you can still hit. Would you be interested in trying out in the, uh, in the East Coast Hockey League? And I thought, okay, why not? Obviously, I didn't <laughs> want to enter the corporate world or the real world yet, and uh, went down, tried out, and, and played a little while for the Columbus Chill in the East Coast Hockey League. And then, remember, I think I got traded to Roanoke, um, West Virginia. Is that, is that right? Yeah, I believe it's in what and. And I thought, oh, I'm not, I can't do this. It was 200 bucks a week. Mm. We were getting paid. And, and then, you know, I had people at home saying, come on, let it go. You got a university degree. You used, you know, time to get in the real world. And said, okay, okay, I'll try to do the right thing. And left the sports world behind and started the corporate world. And, and I was like, and I how long like did this. you last in the real world, Mike? I'd say probably about a year and a half, two, two years. Yeah. Yeah. And then what did you what did you get out of that time then? That I didn't like it. Yeah, and that's I mean, and that is and, that is something, right? Yes, like that is absolutely. a that's something you can carry with you, being like, okay, this is not the life that I that I want. And yet, I have, still have no idea. I mean, I kind of do have an idea because we've spoken about this before. But I have no idea. How, like, how do you get from that to film and television? Okay, so I always wanted to do film and television, but not coming from Montreal, I didn't know, and not in a theater background or anything like that. So I didn't know anybody else that was an actor. So I didn't know what I could do or how I could get in. I didn't think it was possible. I thought you had to go to special schools like theater schools, and yeah. unless you go to theater school, you know, because normally in, in the corporate world, you, you want to be an accountant, you go to, to finance school, you know, mm-hmm. you, you get your degree in econ, economics, or finance, or. So I thought, well, I don't have a degree, so how am I going to be, become an actor? And then I'd met some people randomly, and uh, they said, well, you, you know, it starts with a look, I guess. You have a certain look that the film world might like. And I said, oh, good, I'd love to do it. And um, But I didn't know how, so yeah. I literally walked into the union office. <laughs> Wait, what? I walked into the union <laughs> office and said, I want to be an actor. <laughs> Uh, it was actor. It was actor and UBCP were separate back then. Uh, oh, so you were already here. I was already here, and I'd met some other agents. A guy, um, I can't remember his name now, but he was from here and then moved to Montreal and he did a photo shoot with us with a buddy of mine that was getting into the film industry as well. At that point, 
like later on and he was becoming an agent and I'm like, yeah, I'll take some pictures, whatever. And and so we did that. And then I was like, wait a second, is this weird, right? Is this this guy legit or not? <laughs> but then I thought, well, my buddy who's six foot two, about 240, ex-pro football player as well, and me, I figured he's not going to try to do anything with us. Yeah, yeah. Wrong guys to do that to, I guess. I um, probably. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and he told me, oh, Vancouver's great. So enjoy Vancouver. Go to your novice and, see, you know, find out a list of agents and that kind of thing. So I remember the receptionist laughed at me. <laughs> And not intentionally. I don't think she meant to. I think I caught her off guard, right? Like, well, I mean, who just walks into an office and says... Somebody who doesn't know, right? Yeah. Somebody who has no idea. It's like, well, this is the union of yeah. performers <laughs> in BC. Here's my... St-. I mean, it's adorable. <laughs> <laughs> I, well, I don't know if I would have said adorable. It's adorable. I, I said not I... <laughs> smart. But... So it's, it's earnest, you know? Yes, it's like, okay. But you have stars in your eyes. You're like, I'm I here. Did. There's like little music playing around you. Oh I think God. it's adorable. You're adorable. I do. Oh, thank you. But I did. And it was so... Uh, and I remember, oh my God, you know, okay. I didn't think there was anything wrong with it. So I guess I can say it now. But working with ADP payroll systems, I'd go on my sales calls and on my lunch or just before if I had a meeting, it was done. And you know, you're always on the road. So I just, you know what? I'm going to go in this office and figure out all this um, industry stuff. And that's what I did, and it ended up working out that way. And then I started doing some background work mm. and started studying with various different act. I didn't know who to study with, so you sort of go by who tells you where to go. Yeah. Where to study. Who oh to yeah, because like, I mean, so for our millennial listeners, they might not know this, but there's a time before the internet where you where it's yes. like you have to you can't just Google search everything. No. There aren't online forums like you know you had to like talk to people and, and look great, in phone books. Yeah, exactly. Keep knocking this mic. Uh, <laughs> the great thing about uh, back then though is they had. Um, they couldn't tell them, like I asked who the best agent was or who the best acting teacher was. And obviously they said, well, we can't tell you who the best is, but we can tell you who's reputable or who's recognized by the union. Yeah. So r- right then and there, I just went with whatever was recognized by the union. Because uh, if you look in the newspaper or the Georgia Strait back then or mm-hmm. whatever, yeah, become an actor and blah, blah, blah. There's, there's a bazillion little ads, classified ads uh, of where you could go. So I didn't know. And, what to and do. some where they are just existing to take advantage of, yeah. of adorable, earnest people, right? Who are trying to break into the industry. Absolutely. Yeah. So I just went along and, and studied a little bit. And I, and I got to tell you, I was terrible because <laughs> I had no idea what I was doing. Yeah. And I remember the first day, because I see sometimes, I see this one guy, well, he doesn't say it anymore, but I remember when I started working a lot, and he goes, man, he goes, I remember you that first day. He's like, you didn't even know what you were doing. I said, well, I didn't. Yeah. And I said, but I I worked at it. Mm. I kept working, I kept learning. And I remember I used to study with Larry Moss, who's a great acting coach yeah. um, out of Los Angeles. and And, he would just say what's great about coaching athletes is that whatever you say they sort of say oh, okay what do I need to do okay well you have to do some more voice class okay uh, who, where do I go to that I want to you know they don't sit there and question and say well what do you mean or what they, you go and do it yeah. or you've got to you know do some yoga so loosen up a little bit you got to loosen up a little bit you're too okay let's, let's go do that I can do that or I, I can, can do, do that, that. Yeah. yeah wow or, or study do some more scene study read some more plays okay which plays right <laughs> Which was the, my attitude at the time yeah. because I realized, oh my God, I'm going to quit this this job where I was doing well financially 
to go into this acting world. Yeah. And what did you want at the time? Like, what kind of career did you want when you were first starting out? Honestly, anything anything to do with performing. Yeah. And I didn't realize I had this performing. And I think my mom used to say that she she thought I was always going to be a performer because I used to reenact movies in the backyard. And I'd totally really? forgotten about that. And I used to reenact movies like, like what? Mad Max and, and uh, Escape from New York, all these big... <laughs> B movies, you know these. Those are very dark movies for a little kid to be reenacting in the backyard. (laughs) My brother, that's what we would do, right? Yeah, well, I guess seven years older. Yeah. Yeah. So So whatever he watched, I I would be in. I would get into it. Wow. And um, I would love to see a video of uh, seven-year-old you doing like Mad Max (laughs) in your backyard. So, so you wanted to, you wanted to make like to, to appear in those kind in yeah, those kind of films and those or? absolutely the mad max was everybody asked me well what movie inspired you or what and for me it was mad max yeah literally mad max i saw that in this world that they had created i thought oh my god that's the coolest thing ever i thought it was the coolest thing ever yeah and that's what i and i think it was always in the back of my mind it must have been yeah and then after i mean sports was my my main thing and then when that was over the film thing and the fact that I started, oh, even being on set, right? Even as a, as a background performer, I'd be on set, but I was very fortunate too, even as a background performer, because of my athletic ability, I'd be do, um, they used to call it special skills, mm, I guess. Mm-hmm. Now it's special, um, whatever. You get paid a little more, uh, uh-huh. but you do a little more, you may have to run a bit or you may have to carry somebody or you know, you may have to do yeah, a little more. Okay. And usually that's with cop stuff or, and I guess I had the look of I could play a cop or a bodyguard or, or a doorman or that kind of thing. So, yeah. and then eventually that parlayed into getting some stunt work. And I'd played hockey with a bunch of stunt guys, and then they're like, "Oh crap, you can move!" And 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 then uh, you know I have a bit of a fight background from working nightclubs and training with my buddies and that. I've never been a professional fighter by by no stretch, but I'd done other things. Um, you can hold your and own. That, yeah, I mean, that's I how guess. you make friends. You yeah. beat each other up first, and then you're all buddies. But like, what was the first time? You know, you you talked about seeing Mad Max and the experience mm-hmm. of that. And but what was the first time that you had that same feeling on a film set? You know, uh, where you like when you access that level of like, oh my god, this is so fucking awesome. I, I did an X Files episode, and and you know, as a background performer, you can't remember what episode or what thing was early on. And I was playing an orderly, and all I had to do was pick up David Duchovny and put him on to this gurney, um, Fox Mulder, and I had to put him on this. You gurney. mean Agent Mulder, Agent sir? Mulder, yeah. <laughs> and uh, and then they, uh, you know, they were sitting there, and they said, "Okay, uh, well, just okay, since you know he's a big dude, and can you pick him up?" I said, "I can do it." And they said, "Well, why don't we do two, and then you'll say one, two, three, and go." And then, uh, so I said one, two, three, but I gotta tell you that that, uh, that moment where they, they said rolling and I'm like, wait, oh my God, I'm gonna have to say, I'm gonna have to do something, right? That, 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 that adre- I guess it was adrenaline, some form of adrenaline came over me. Yeah. And then I heard action and it was like, I'd never felt that anywhere else except on the football field. So that was the closest I ever had to being uh, back playing sports again. Yeah. And then I had that and I was hooked, literally hooked. At that point, I knew I was quitting my job. I was going to be an actor. I was going to do whatever. Just needed to count to three. And I didn't realize about stunt work, too. And I thought that stunt work for me was the perfect transition because 
I was a physical dude that my career was cut short because of some injuries, but not enough to cut short my my stunt uh, yeah. career. So uh, I just worked really hard at that as well, and just tried to you know forge a career in stunt work or acting. At that point, I was happy to go either way. Yeah, and it's performing, right? It's all performing, and we have such an incredible stunt community oh, here as well, where people are moving back and forth too across the line. You know, some of our top directors in the city right now for film t- for TV is like James Bamford and, and Kamani. Like, it's just it's a very exciting time for for the for the stunt community. But you know, I'm I'm assuming as an athlete though, you know, you you're constantly also trying to push faster and harder yes. and move the goalposts and stuff. So like, you know, at this at this point now top athlete sir what is it that you want like what what are some what are some of the challenges that that you face now and that you're seeking to you know like are roles that you've yet to play like what what are we what are we gunning for now well i still love playing the the roles i play like playing jason mitchich on power is such a privilege and, and honor to do that on, on a show that's uh, very reputable and, and the people care about it so for me that kind of show characters are characters and I think uh, yes would I like to play I'd love to play uh, a romantic lead one day or and I've done little things on, on some smaller movies and such but you know you want to expand your talents and be able to see w- where you could go with it because yeah. you don't know right uh, some comedy too. I'd love to try my hand at some comedy. Be great at comedy. Um, thanks. Yeah, I, I'm I'm getting more opportunities. Having said that, which is great. That's good. Even out of LA, had some nice uh, some nice meetings and, and uh, auditions and stuff. And because especially with comedies, they they don't know me. And I've done some other like I've been on uh, Mr. D and some other That's shows. That's right. Like yeah. That. So there are some things I can draw on and I can show them. But they still, as far as the sitcom world, is a whole different ball game. Uh, You're a funny guy. I could totally see you see you doing that. Well, thanks. Yeah, I, who knows? And I know, and I totally appreciate it because uh, I've worked with like Lachlan Monroe and some other the, uh, guys that uh, in in town that are very funny and that have done sitcoms and have done uh, comedic films and such. Oh yeah, and Lachlan see, goes back and forth yeah. and back and forth between both, right? And, and I see the work and the timing, so I've learned a lot from him. Having said that, and and watching movies and seeing things differently now to see, oh, okay, there's, a, you know, in comedy sometimes there's beats and there's, there's different ways of doing things and it's not so so deep. Yeah, right? yeah, or it's, it, it is in a, in a different way. And that's you, the athlete, watching and yes. studying. And, yeah, just like, okay, why yeah. is it like that? Why are they doing that? Why? I do want to talk about one one role from from that I that I mentioned in the intro, which I would imagine would be would have been a big deal for you, which is playing Vic Hadfield in uh, in that the Canada Russia seventy uh, two. Um, t- tell me about the the experience of, of of making that and what that particular role meant to you. Like, am I correct in assuming that like that occupies a a special place in your? Absolutely, that that definitely is one of my biggest most favorite shows that I've ever done I mean think about it there was we were all hockey fans every actor on that that show was was a hockey fan now I think nine out of ten of us uh, of the leads actually played hockey yeah um so that to me was amazing and we were all good old boys just we all were paid the same we were all in the same situation live you know working in Fredericton New Brunswick away from our families uh, so 
and then to play the Canada Russia seventy two, and we got to play. It was amazing, even from the excitement of wearing those old skates, and then realize, oh my God, this sucks. The guy <laughs> had to play with these old skates. How bad was that? It gives and, you a lot more respect, oh, though, for those players. Yeah, right? our equipment's so much better now. Yeah, and and you sit there, and also, I mean, there's a there's a learning curve because the skates are so different. And obviously those guys, and then you realize why they couldn't do certain moves that we do today. Yeah. Like, because you're like, oh my God, those skates, you can't do that. Yeah. Because the blades are longer and the whole thing, right? So it's really interesting. And it took us all a couple of days where we we're like, oh my God, I can't skate anymore. So all of a sudden, <laughs> I don't know how to do this. Um, you had to go to training camp just to learn how to skate 1972 yeah. style. <laughs> exactly. Do you remember, like you must have, you were a very wee little boy at the time. Do you remember the... I, I remember... I remember my parents talking about it yeah. and watching it, and uh, like my dad, especially my brother. I, he, I remember him telling me, "I have this vision that I was in school with the TVs, but it wasn't me; it was my brother." Oh, interesting. Those old, yeah. But I remember it was so vivid that we talked about. Yeah, it. Yeah, he talked about my it brother so was much a that huge it was hockey player. Yeah, yeah. A huge hockey player. So, for us, we were a hockey family, but definitely. So for us, it was really interesting, and and then to be able to play it. I mean. Come on. That yeah. was like, it's a kid's dream, a Canadian kid's dream to play Canada, Russia 72 or anything, any hockey movie, would, you know, every kid, Canadian kid would be like, oh my God, I'd love to do that. Yeah. And, and we were able to do that. And, um, and of course I had to be, I was in LA at the time putting myself on tape for it. And oh. our, our director, T.W. Peacock, um, I remember talking with him about it and he said, oh Mike, you don't understand. He said, Every, and he plays hockey. So he said, everybody I knew wanted to be on that movie. Yeah. So he had received like thousands of audition tapes. Yeah. Everybody wanted to do it. And all like even big Canadian name actors wanted to to do it as well. So it was really interesting that they, they went with who felt right, I guess, instead of just name people or whatever. So um, yeah, it was exciting. It was just a blast. It was an incredible, and, and Having said that, uh, Gabe Hogan, uh, Jerry D, uh, Sebastian Roberts, um, gosh, I'm forgetting a bunch of the guys, but we all stay in touch still. Yeah. Isn't that wild? We all, because we were together for months yeah. working on this thing. Yeah, it's like a re it's like a real hockey team. It was. Where you like, you, all the players stay stay buds at, after the end of it. That's really cool. And some of the locker room stuff was literally, okay guys, just just talk like just go off like you would in the hockey dressing room we're gonna we'll try you know we have some scripted stuff then it would be just go go for it all yeah. right and some of that stuff obviously ended up in the movie and and um i mean we're there we'd skate all day do scenes and skate all day and we were all really wanted to make it a good project we really wanted to do to honor it and i wanted to do that for vic hadfield mm. i thought he was given the short end of the stick because they were considering him a quitter and, and that and playing his character I was trying I remember I even read up on stuff so I asked them to please put the scene this little scene we need to have it in the movie we need to have it and I explained I fought for it yeah and and Barry Dunn our, our producer and, and writer of was okay with it and he said okay let's do it because I wanted to show that he it wasn't just it wasn't just because uh he was selfish it was Look, you have to understand, back then, the American teams, like the New York Rangers, were paying these guys a lot of money. Yeah. And they're saying, why are you going to play? Because they didn't care about this Canada, Russia. So I don't want you to get hurt. That yeah. was their thing. So he, they had that. And then all of a sudden, they had they brought like 32 guys or whatever it was for the hockey team. There was way too many players there. And some guys you know, were benched after the first game, and Vic Hadfield was. And 
He's like, you're benching me when I'm going home to play in front of Toronto. And there's a lot of things. There's yeah. a lot of reasons why. Uh, things. It's not so, so, I, so for me, yeah. I was trying to portray, if I could, uh, that it wasn't he wasn't being selfish at all. It was he was he was hurt and he was been you know told, not lied to, but not told the whole truth. Yeah, you know, I am. I got to admit, not a big sports person. <laughs> I, oh, I'm I, leaving. Forget <laughs> it. I'm out of here. I mean, but and yet, like, um, although I did grow up like hearing my grandfather tell these stories about listening to the original six on mm. the on the radio, like that was the what, what he would do back in the day. Like I just, but to hear you talk about about sports, <laughs> I can't even talk about sports without making it sound weird. That is how <laughs> like awkward I feel talking about it. <laughs> but I can feel, I can hear like the passion and stuff, and like I can hear you you talk about it with the same kind of passion that you talk like with which you talk about your your work is there a lot of crossover between how you feel about sports and athletics and how you feel about about acting like it does it occupy the same part of your absolutely heart yes and soul? totally yeah? look sports sports has defined me yeah and it doesn't make the person but it can definitely help define you and but it's all the good stuff from sports it's the hard work yeah it's the perseverance it's uh, it's your teammates. It's trusting each other, and I th- truly believe all of that goes right into acting. Totally, it, totally. Yeah. I mean, you can you can just take it and put it in each other. You know, <laughs> the circle square. I'm losing my train of thought here, but you know, whatever you want, you can really put acting and sports on the same the same level. Yeah, I think I think you do because. Yeah, it's made me a better person. Yeah. And it's definitely helped my acting. Yeah. Sure. Now, we've talked a lot about uh, about family. You've mentioned mm. your family quite a bit. And I know that you have uh, a teenage son as well. Just celebrate his birthday a few days ago. I know this from social media. Uh, like, what does he think of what it is that his dad does? And, like, is this an industry that you would recommend to your son? Yes, I would recommend it. And, and the reason I say it that way is... I'd rather him get life experiences beforehand yeah. and then go into acting. But I love what I do. So yeah. how can I tell him it's not the right thing to do? And what do you mean by like life experiences? Do you mean working for working uh, ADP things. payroll or yeah. just going and doing do, a bunch of stuff? And he's working right now at Panther Airsoft, which is, I'm plugging Panther Airsoft, <laughs> but they treat they treat, treat him great. And, um, and he works there. He works there on the weekends and he loves it. So I like that. I like that he's decided to do that. He's in the film academy and this year he's taking a year off from it just to see what he wants to do. And I, and I think I'm, I'm totally happy that he's doing that because he can always come back to the film academy. And I know I can always g- help guide him into whatever he wants to do. Yeah. He wants to go into film. Um, and he likes sports too, but he's his own guy. He's not, uh, he's told me before, he goes, well, dad, it's hard. He goes, you played some pro hockey, played pro football. He goes, you know, and I said, yeah, but I'm not saying you have to. Yeah. I just like you to play sports just for that, <laughs> those qualities in life that you learn. Hard work, respect to your team. All of that stuff is really important in life. Yeah. And and that's why I want him to be uh, privy to that. So, you know, you don't, it doesn't mean you have to play at the highest level. Yeah, I mean, all. sometimes it's good to even do stuff that you're not going to be 
excellent at, but just try. Like, you know, yeah. my, my daughter goes to the to a dojo three times a week and she's doing jujitsu. And, you know, she's reached a point where it's she's eight, you know, and she's like, I like it, but, you know, I don't want to be a black belt. And I, right. I just and I'm like, you know what? Like, I don't expect you to be excellent, but I expect you to try, mm-hmm. you know, and I know you're getting a lot of st- other stuff out of it, you know, so like I, it's you don't have to be a professional at everything no. you know you have to like work hard and, uh, and, yeah, and try and try and and at the risk of saying something bad i find a lot of kids because i coach a lot of kids and as soon as they're not good at something right away they think well screw this yeah right and i'm like no wait a second you don't realize how close you are to being good yeah just a little extra work you may have to do a few extra things yeah. but you have a mindset that can be great for this or and so um I hate when kids quit early. Yeah. But I understand that too. And I don't want to force, I'd hate to force. Look, I told my son, whatever sport you want to play, you have to play a sport. Yeah. So are you telling me you, if you don't, you don't like, you really hate sports? He goes, no, I like sports. So then pick something. He goes, well, I want to play hockey. He said, okay. Yeah. I go, do you want to do martial arts? He goes, yeah, I'm thinking about that. You know, right now he's at that age where I think he's just trying to figure out where, where he fits and what he likes. And, and um, it's hard. So it's we good. ask our teenagers to decide so many things, though, that like, yeah. like I like the fact that we we, you know, graduate from from high school. You, you're supposed to choose what you want to do with your life and then go in and study and do that. Like, it's insane. I say that now as I'm turning 40 next month. And it's like I could, the fact that like I, I could not have at 18 been expected to make decisions. Like maybe in my late 20s, I was was more equipped to, yeah, to do that. And yet we expect teenagers to do that. So that's why it's good to go out there and live life and fall down a lot. I agree. Look, I, I think it's so important to get life experiences. Yeah. And I think that's what helped my acting career because I started at 20, what, 5, 26 or whatever it was. And I think that has definitely helped my career because I had all these other life experiences that I could draw on, yeah. right? And so I told, I tell Dane, I said, listen, just and tell my daughter the same thing. She yeah. likes to play soccer. I said, whatever sport you want to play, basketball, soccer, but she actually enjoys soccer and basketball. And Dane likes sports too. He's just, he's happy to be with his buddies playing sports. Yeah. Right? And, and, and or whatever they're doing, he likes to be with his buddies. <laughs> Fighting behind the yeah. school like his dad, making no, no, friends. No, no, no. <laughs> times have changed a little bit. Yeah, you can't go and just beat, just beat each other up and then be buddies up, after. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to take a break. Uh, and when we come back, we're going to talk about Stargate. Okay. Because I know that that is a, continues to be a huge part of your life. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. And we're also going to talk about Christmas, <laughs> I guess. Because I, I just found out that Mike's doing a Christmas movie. I am. Okay. Can you believe it? I, I cannot. It's so, not a horror film. <laughs> damn it. I was hoping. All right. We're going to take that break. Some people claim that Vancouver is a no-fun city, but anyone who says this has clearly not attended Liquid Amber Tattoo and Art Collective's monthly art socials, because these events are crazy fun and bring artists and art lovers together in one gorgeous space. Liquid Amber Tattoo is located in a stunning three-story brick building in historic Gastown. Since 2001, Liquid Amber's artists have been providing custom and cosmetic tattoos to satisfied Vancouverites and out-of-towners. The studio is health board approved, it's spotless, and the artists are consummate professionals. And there is always stellar artwork by local artists on the walls. Which brings us to Liquid Amber Tattoo and Art Collective's signature event, The Art Social. 
On the last Friday of every month, Liquid Amber closes up early and the studio becomes an after-hours hive of creative energy. A vibrant, pulsating event space where artists show and sell their creations to art lovers and everyone is sipping wine and beer and having one hell of a good time. And right now, Liquid Amber Tattoo is on the lookout for art that's been created by artists who work in the film industry or that's been inspired by the film industry in some way. Is that you? Learn how you can submit your work to the 2020 Showcase and be part of future art socials on the Liquid Amber website. Liquid Amber Tattoo and Art Collective is located at 62 Powell Street in Vancouver. For more information about the studio and the monthly art socials, and to submit to the 2020 Film Art Showcase, visit liquidambertattoo.com. That's liquidambertattoo.com. Okay, so Mike. Yes. I'm about to tell you something about okay. yourself that you probably know. But last year, you were part of the Star hashtag Stargate Rising campaign, which was designed to draw attention to the fact that the Stargate Phantom is very much alive. And now my notes tell me that you played Colonel Ruslan Chernovchev and Ode Ventrell on Stargate SG-1. You played Kirik on Stargate Atlantis and Varro on Stargate Universe. I want to go back and try that. Ruslan Chernovchev. Chernovshev, yes. Chernovshev. Okay. I feel like I'm like dishonoring my Ukrainian relatives <laughs> no, just there. Kiperchaks, Krasnodanskas, and Kostasak, those are my people. Uh, and you all, so you attend Stargate conventions all over, and you, you uh, that includes uh, GateCon. You did GateCon last year. Uh, so, so, Tell me about being part of the Stargate universe, especially having appeared on so many series. Like, how did your time on Stargate affect your career and your life? Oh, it definitely uh, did nothing but enhance my career. Yeah. Uh, from the first, the original SG-1, doing stunt work on it, uh, to doing those special skills, background work sometimes, you know. Um, and from that point on to actually working on the show as an actor and then auditioning, you know, trying to get an audition for the show. Because, you know, when you're a beginning actor, it's not like auditions are are flying off the shelves for you, right? You're yeah. just sitting there going, okay. I, Even for established it? actors? Yes, exactly. Sometimes the phone don't ring all the time. Exactly. How oh, I'm finding that one out, too. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it, and so, yeah, absolutely. And then getting to know uh, the various producers and, and directors and the cast on the show. And obviously, at the end of it with Varro, playing Varro on yeah. SGU, um, that has created a lot of uh, other opportunities as well. And it gives you some sci-fi cred, for lack of a better term, because Stargate is an iconic series. Yeah. It really, all the Stargates are. I mean, we're talking more than 300 episodes of television and countless movies that were all created here yeah. in Vancouver, which is just, it's astounding, you know, and the fact that it really, I mean, we built up the infrastructure, we built up the crews, like it really, it did something very special here. Well, and all the guys like from Peter DeLuise to Andy Makita, uh, I remember Andy Makita was a first AD yeah. and became this Uber director who yeah. was doing great. and. Amanda Tapping Amanda now Tapping. directed now more than 55 episodes of television. I know. Isn't amazing. that amazing? Yeah, she's pretty great. And, and everybody's gone on to do, uh, I wouldn't say bigger th or better things, but just different things, but all along the lines of Stargate, which I think is fantastic. Uh, Joe Malazzi uh, and Paul Mully, but Joe uh, became a good friend of mine. Yeah. And, and he was the reason why I ended up doing a lot of the Stargates. 
Yeah. And uh, and then I did Dark Matter with him. Yeah. And there's some. Uh, what else did I do? Transporter. Yeah, in oh, Toronto. Yeah. Um, so Joe was great, and he's been instrumental as far as um, working on Stargate and then getting other jobs because of it. Yeah. And, you know, I know his motto was after Stargate Atlantis and everything, and he realized that he likes working with people that he gets along with that are professional, that are prepared, that come to work. And I think I'm one of those guys that, that enjoys work. I enjoy being on set. It's not, for me, it's like, it's like a joy literally to this day i still enjoy going to set every day yeah. like if i'm not working for a while I, I go bananas yeah what do you think it is about stargate that has made it so popular and just like i mean it's it's been like a decade now since you know the last original stargate yes. programming you know and and yet like there the i mean i was at gatecon in 2018 i mean there's so many people there people are so passionate and then this that stargate rising you know it know. it trended all around the world people were very passionate about it so what is it about stargate Be, I, is it escapism um i think people literally connect to that world yeah and I think it's so far, in so many ways, it's so far removed from our world, but yet it's all the same issues that, you know, yeah. we all have that that boss that's a good guy or a bad guy, whatever it is, and there's all these teams and there's always all these conflict, but then they there's always fighting the bad people, right? Yeah. I think it's good versus evil. I, I think people still, um, it still connects with people on that level, that it's good versus evil. Yeah. I do, I, I think it does. and. It must because people still talk to me about, uh, you know, uh, SGU, even McCurick and, and these other ones. They go, oh, so you and Jason Momoa would have been great as a team to do, you know, uh, as runners because we were both runners. Um, and yeah. We, I, he's done all right for himself. Yeah, he's though, doing you know? okay. <laughs> he's doing okay. He's doing okay. He's doing all right. Yeah, a lot of independent fare and stuff. Oh, yeah, good, good for him. Yeah. <laughs> That's Aquaman. even been exciting. Yeah, throw in a little, little bit blockbuster movie. Yeah, though. a little bit. It's been very exciting though, and because I, I feel somebody was a fan of Stargate though to be like he's one of us. Yeah, that's true. Absolutely, <laughs> and he's a great guy. So I'm happy for all his, his success. It's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Um, going to conventions. Uh, yes. t talk to me about that because I, I I mean I love conventions and I and I love fans like I, I love being around the the energy and the passion of people who are passionate about something yeah. you know so so tell me about like your your first forays into convention life and what what are some of the things that you've learned from the fans? Well, I don't do many conventions. I've probably done less than ten, I think. Uh, my first one was uh, the energy that it took. Because you have all these fans, and, and what I mean by that is you have to understand that we look, actors, all the actors I know, literally are guys that were normal people, you know, just like, hi, how you doing, nice, friendly people. And so when you meet some, uh, some of the fans, the fans are actually nervous. Mm. And you don't, I never expected that. I thought the fans, especially with social media too nowadays, they, they just say all kinds of stuff and you're like, oh, whatever. And then you meet them and they're like nervous to talk to you. Yeah. And you're like, oh my God. So that was hard. That took a lot of energy to sit there and go, no, please don't be, you're, come here. You need a hug or you want to shake a hand or, or you know. Yeah. And it was really interesting because I had, had no idea that's how it would be. That uh, people would be nervous to meet you. That people would be nervous, yeah. Aww. Totally. So it was really interesting in, in that regard. So that's where I said it was the energy of it all. It's like you're giving all of you 
to all yeah. these people all the time. And then that was just because it was the first time I didn't know. So then now I'm, my body's used to it. So it's yeah. it's kind of interesting. <laughs> well, you're like an athlete. You've trained up. Trained, you know what to uh, expect. And But look, the passion of the people and the fact that these people are paying money to see you. And I, I never forget that. I, I never forget that. The people are actually, they've paid to come to this place and they want to meet you. Yeah. And so when I hear about actors being assholes or jerks, I just want to slap them in the head because most of these people would not be doing anything if it wasn't for acting. Yeah. And you have to respect your fan base. You have to respect your people. And and they're the ones, they're the reason why you're there. Yeah. They forget that. A lot of, some people forget that. And so to me, it, when I do go to conventions and do conventions, I just, yeah, try to be there for them because that's what you're there for. Yeah. Right? What do you nerd out about? Or, or this, this, if like, is there somebody that you would be nervous to meet or that you were nervous to hmm. meet? I was, but it wasn't a, well, I guess it was a little bit. I did a movie called White Noise. Okay. And um, doing a scene with Michael Keaton. Oh. I had a few scenes with them, but I remember the first scene with, and then all of a sudden they were like, okay, yeah, the scene because. It was a low budget movie and then things had to change and, and locations changed. So all of a sudden the dialogue didn't work. Mm. So here I am, you know, and I'm just starting out spreading my acting wings, so to speak. Yeah. I'm working with Michael Keaton. I have a tremendous amount of respect for him. Mm -hmm. And I remember all of a sudden, and we're, and, and we're so into it because all of a sudden it's like, oh, we have to come up with the scene. So we come up with the scene and we write it and, and we're, we're, we're sitting there with this idea, this idea, this idea. And then one of the producers goes, well, look at you. Fucking stun guy, now you're acting with Michael Keaton. <laughs> Batman, right? And I'm sitting there going, oh shit, I am. Why, why the fuck did you spend that? <laughs> all of a sudden I went, oh my God. Now you're all self-conscious. All self-conscious, like, oh shit, I'm hanging out with Michael Keaton. Oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. So that that was one of the times where I, I literally, that had to happen where, I, why did you say anything? Why did they was say going, anything? Everything was going great. And it still went well. It was there was no problem. But I remember that moment of oh shit. And I'm looking, and I remember one of the times we're we're writing a scene, and I'm looking at him, and I'm just sort of staring at him. <laughs> I'm just looking at him. Look, you're Batman. And, and yeah, I said, and we weren't allowed technically. They didn't want us to say anything about that because of how it ended, I guess, for him. Mm -hmm. So well, he's also Mr. Mom. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so that was interesting. That was one of the moments. Uh, who else did I? Um. I mean, meeting Dolph Lundgren was great. I remember oh, yeah, auditioning, auditioning with him. <laughs> and because I was an action guy and, and doing all these action movies, so Arnold Schwarzenegger, all those guys meeting them, you sort of like, this is, this is kind of cool. Yeah. I used to watch these guys, and yeah. now I'm in the same freaking movie as them, right? Yeah. So all those guys, uh, even Steven Seagal, but there's a lot of other <laughs> things that go with Steven. Um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, but meeting all these guys that were the action heroes at the, t at the time that I got to work with, uh, absolutely. Dolph Lundgren, I remember doing the audition and he decides to be the reader. Oh. So I'm in an audition, he's directing this movie and he decides to be the reader. <laughs> and so I'm sitting there and it took me a second because we, we started the scene and I remember, oh, okay guys, can we start over again? Because I'm like, I'm doing, I'm acting with Dolph Lundgren right here. <laughs> So it's just hilarious how it happened. And then I remember in the audition room with them, I'm like, oh my God, I'm working with Dolph Lundgren. Wow. Oh, that's my line. Okay, uh, can we start <laughs> over again? 
That's fantastic. Um, I usually ask people, I mean, you've kind of like segued into that s- so well, but I, I, I love to ask people about what the fuck moments. Like, oh, yeah. well, you know, I mean, and uh, like, you know, like, do you still have those even now? Those like, what the fuck? This is actually my life kind of moments. Like, what do you need yeah. now in order to have those kind of moments? Still, every time I shoot New York, yeah, I still love it. I, I you know, we'll, we'll be shooting in Manhattan or even Brooklyn or whatever. All these places that you've heard about or you, I mean, I used to go to uh, to, to New York a lot as a kid. Because yeah, same we, time zone, 12 same hour time drive. Zone, 12 yeah. Hour, yeah. <laughs> well, actually eight, it was even less back then. Now it's worse, but but yeah. We you go, got there in eight hours, yeah, really? Yeah. Oh, my dad stopped a lot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, we would just go. We would go watch the football games and, and go to all the outlets, right? All oh, the, absolutely. All the clothing to get yeah. all the, the football cleats and stuff because the U.S. had better things than we did Absolutely. in Canada, especially yeah. back then. Um, so, yeah, whenever I'm shooting in Manhattan or something, and, you know, on the streets and walking, doing a movie, I'm like, oh, my God, this is great. I remember mistresses, shooting mistresses mm-hmm. in, in Los Angeles. And there I was on Sunset Boulevard in my DeLorean, pulling <laughs> out. I had a DeLorean on the show. See, I played him. Well, he was, an, he, he was kind of an asshole, but he, he was still kind of sweet. And I had <laughs> a this, lovable asshole. Yeah. yeah. And he had this DeLorean, and he's always wearing these fine suits, dressed to the nines, right? And, and I just thought, oh, my God, here I am on Sunset Boulevard with 300 uh, fans are being held back, and that's the way it was. And then we had, like, 300 uh, extras, uh, background people, and then we had... Um, there was me and Jess McCallan, who was my love interest on the show, and us walking down to get to, in, into my DeLorean, right? I mean, come on. That, that was, to me, <laughs> is one of those moments you're like, that you dream about as a kid uh, wanting to be an actor. Yeah. What, what does your family think about what you do? I don't mean your, your, your uh, wife and kids. I mean, like, your, you know, your, your, your family you grew up with. Like, what do I, they think of this line of work? Oh, I think, I think they like it. And... I think it's kind of cool sometimes for them. I, and especially as my career has grown, I think every once in a while they're like, oh my God, you know, Uncle He's Mike's a, yeah. a, an actor. or or, And then, um, yeah, my, I know my brother said, when he goes, yeah, they were watching Deadpool and, and he forgot <laughs> that he forgot that I told him I was in Deadpool. And he's like, oh shit, Mike. <laughs> he said, he said, I said it out loud. And he goes, the people are looking at me. He goes, that's my brother. <laughs> you so, have a, a wonderful end in that film. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, part and parcel seems to be always like that. But. Yeah. Um, if you could go back in time. See, you mentioned DeLorean. Another nice kind of segue yes. into this. What I usually, this is a question I love to love to end on. But if you could go back in time to the beginning of your career in this biz. So let's go back to like super adorable Mike Dopa showing up at UBCP with, with, with you know, photos and yeah. questions in hand. What advice would you give yourself or, or would you give yourself any advice at all? No, I think I, I did it right. Uh, I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of things I could have done better or, or you know, uh, fast-tracked, I guess, with some of the studying and some of the people I worked with and the background work or the stunt work. Um, but I think I would have just said, stay the course, like yeah. you did, just stay the course. And I have to remind myself the same thing. Because look, um, I was talking to a few actors in town that we're still fighting for jobs every day. Yeah, and It doesn't matter what you do, you're still fighting for jobs every day. Fighting for that audition, fighting for that meeting, fighting for that indie film, or whatever it is, right? Yeah. So um, I have to remind myself to stay the course. Yeah. You know, trust it, trust it, have faith. 
Well, thank you. And please continue to keep us in in your sphere and keep us posted on what you're working on because uh, we're big fans of you over here at Wide Bear oh, Screen Scene. Thank you. And Sabrina, you, you do so much great stuff for the community. And so I have to thank you for that because oh. you're amazing. You really are truly. Uh, if we had more people like you, Canada would have a better star system. Well, thank you. That's what we're working on yep. here. All right. Where can our fans find you on social media? Mike Dopad. Uh, at at Mike. Uh, on Instagram and at Dopewood Mike on Twitter. Oh, was Mike Dopewood taken already? Or I don't know why I ended up. <laughs> it's kind of weird. I don't know why it ended up that way. But yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, at Dopewood Mike, we will find you there. To our listeners, we thank you. We ask you to like and subscribe and leave us a review if you are so inclined. Those really do help us. Uh, you can find us at www.yvrscreenscene.com. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram at YVR Screen Scene. Not YVR Scene Screen. But I don't know. <laughs> and do it follow because I follow. Yes. Yes, you do. And you like a lot of my posts. I, I appreciate I that. <laughs> the YVR Screen Scene podcast is hosted and executive produced by myself, Sabrina Firminger, and it is produced and edited by Simon Firminger. We give special thanks to Tyson Braddock and Paul Firminger. We are a family business here. For technical support and to Dane Develay for the original music, YVR Screen Scene is a division of Fish Flight Entertainment. Join us next time for another deep dive into to Vancouver's dynamic film and television scene. And cat! <laughs>